this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what you've accomplished on the cross and are still accomplishing now. Thank you for your presence in our lives and how you act in it. Thank you for this community. And we pray that you, through this time, through the study of your word, that you work in our hearts. God, I pray that you be glorified. Pray that you work through me, through the flaws in my own preparation, um, through the preparations to um, transform our hearts. God, pray that you magnify yourself, and we know that you will. Thank you, and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, good morning. I am just going to hop right into this because it's going to get hot really soon and everyone probably wants to get out of here. Although at our house, our AC is broken, so this is actually pretty nice with these units going on me. So, let me just read the text again. We're in Acts chapter 1, just two verses, 9 through 11. It says, And after he said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So just some introductory remarks and a recap from what we've been going through. If, yeah, if you were one of these disciples, it's been a crazy couple of weeks. If you think about it, for these disciples, in less than two months, pretty much, there's this one week period where Jesus enters into Jerusalem, big celebration, Palm Sunday, and by Friday, he's arrested and hung on the cross, and few days after that, he's resurrected. So, just the emotions and experience within that week are just pretty nuts. Like, there's this high of his entry, and then this deep low, where they have fears of association with Jesus, they have the death of their closest friend and their teacher, and then the resurrection happens, and there's this, again, high and probably, like, confusion of what's going on. Of course, the disciples have been told about this, or they might have expected something based on what Jesus had been telling them, but it's all, it's all kind of crazy. And when we pick up an Acts in the beginning of the chapter, it documents that this is followed by 40 days of Jesus appearing to the disciples and appearing to others. He's speaking about the kingdom of God. And in this 40 days, it's not actually that much time when you think about it. I, I don't really accomplish much in a month a lot of times. Uh, but, yeah, it's not that much time, but just relative to Jesus' total earthly ministry, it's not insignificant. Forty days, maybe is an additional 4% of time on his three-year ministry. And in this time, as Mark touched on last week, Jesus, I think, had built up enough excitement from his disciples and other people around him by appearing to folks, teaching, that they were really anticipating something pretty cool to happen soon. As Mark said, 
former theologian, had said that the disciples were really expecting at that time some imminent change where he would bring a political, territorial kingdom to restore Israel to its glory. Last week, Mark said some people may think that they were misguided in their assumptions, but kind of as he said, like I think the disciples really maybe weren't unjustified in this thinking, right? Jesus has showed that after the resurrection, nothing can stop them, not even death, not even being murdered. And then we have this command where he orders his disciples not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. and that's going to give them some power. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I guess if I were told that, I would think, oh, Jesus is going to go do something. Um, that's why he's telling me to wait, or else I'd be going along with him. And then he's going to do something really cool, and then once the Holy Spirit comes, I'm going to go join him and do something cool with him. And so I think that's where we pick up, like right at this text. They are pretty excited, something's about to happen, and then Jesus says, actually, like, not yet, and this is what happens next. Um, so instead of seeing this kind of sudden territorial kingdom and restoring Israel to its glory, we instead see a sudden and for them, an unexpected departure. So we pick up in today's text, uh, Luke has just recorded a version of the Great Commission that Jesus gave um, in verse 8. It says, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. In verse 9, when we pick up, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on. So the disciples are just in the middle of this conversation, and they're like, are you going to do this cool thing? He's like, oh, not yet, it's not for you to know. And then in the very next moment, he just kind of floats away, which is pretty amusing to me. Right? This method that he leaves, being lifted up in a cloud and taken out of their sight, some say it was in was important so that the disciples would know right then that he was leaving them physically for real. Like in other post-resurrection accounts that are in the Bible, we hear Jesus kind of like appears, then he disappears, and he appears again, he appears to a bunch of people at once, and I'm just like, it's like poof, like a magician coming up in a in spoke. But this time it's different. The ascension makes it really clear to them that he is gone physically, and now the disciples, they need to grapple with the fact and the knowledge that Jesus has left them physically, for real, this time, and probably for like, a pretty decent chunk of time. It's probably not going to come back in three days, or even like a month. And this experience that they're having is having someone there one moment and really expecting something and then suddenly they aren't there or things didn't pan out how we had in our mind. It's something that right, we all grapple with in various ways. The kind of obvious, serious, painful one are things like you can think of death. Death of your parents, um, children, of friends. They're there one moment and then they're not it can feel similar to abandonment, where you 
seem to get the opposite of what you thought you needed, right? That friend that you thought was going to do something and then they didn't come through. You promised to clean up chairs here and then you didn't come. Um, that, that support you needed at work or even as a kid, right? Like the first time your parents leave you in daycare or drop you off for your first day of school or they bring you to college. There's a lot of things that we go through where we lose something or we're abandoned. This can also just be a part of life, right? As we move into new seasons in life, the relationships that we hold shift. Um, we kind of like have seasons where we're really invested in certain communities and then we kind of fade away. So this, this kind of idea of change, of something being different and not what we expected, I think is quite common. And even in our relationships with God, in our own spiritual journeys, I think, for me, for sure, there's been a lot of times when, you know, especially I can think of in college, where you're, if you like, really excited for what God is going to do. College is a great breeding ground for this, because it's a bunch of young people with no responsibilities, all, like, together, and they're like, God's going to do amazing things, it's going to be cool, we're going to put on this event, and, like, hundreds of people are going to come to know Christ. We can feel really excited, really on fire for God, and a lot of times we see amazing things happen, um, but there's also times when we experience in the midst of that kind of this answer or response from God that it's kind of like a, it's not yet, you know, it's, it's not going to happen exactly how you thought it was going to happen. Um, sometimes even more dramatic, we can experience you know, like the opposite, like perhaps with the disciples are feeling briefly here where they're really psyched about what God is going to do next, and then perhaps he feels even farther away. He just goes up and leaves physically, where we feel out of his presence. And I think this text pushes us to think about um, what do we keep or hold on to from these meaningful relationships. And here we see his physical act of leaving, but what promises did Jesus leave his disciples for when it was the time for him to leave? Jesus had left their physical presence, but at the same time, Jesus is always with them. Jesus may not be with us physically, but Jesus is always with us. Jesus may not be with you physically, but Jesus is with you. We may not see him, but he's still with us. So, to get, dig into this a bit, um, just recall in the book of Matthew, Jesus gives this great commission, um, and I think the most cited version of it, and that's Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It says, and Jesus came to them. So this is kind of like the same conversation that the disciples are just having right before Jesus floats away. Um, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So that promise, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
So, yeah, how can you say that? How can you say, I'm with you always, and then the next moment you just like float away in the sky? That's what I want to get into a little bit. So, first, in here, the, the promise of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I'm going away, um, but the Holy Spirit, who is one with me, is coming. If we go back to John 14, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. The Holy Spirit, the power of the living God, the power of the resurrected Christ, will be sent to the disciples. And, as Mark always likes to say, the, say like, the Spirit of God lives in the hearts of all of us believers as well. So, one, one way Jesus is with us, even if he's not with us physically, the Holy Spirit. Another area, right? Jesus, also often referred to as the Word of God. Right, so Jesus isn't like the Bible, like the Bible's not the same thing as Jesus, but um, Jesus is described in the book of John as the Word of God, meaning Jesus is the expression of a thought. He's the, the total message of God to man, and he embodies that message of God. And that's why it's called the Word of God. And for us Christians, we're left with that Word in the form of our Bibles. Um, and the Word of God is alive and it's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to divide the soul and spirits, joints and marrow. So Jesus, the subject of the Word, also speaks to us and teaches us through it. And so while we can't see him physically, when we can't converse with him directly as the disciples did uh, in the flesh, we still have this word of God available to us to read, to study, to meditate on us, to meditate on. And it's just another way that in these times where we feel like we need to speak with God, that that's there for us. And I know for me, it's often something I don't utilize as much as I could. And a third area that I think is helpful to reflect on is the body of Christ. So Jesus left the disciples physically, but they were still left together physically in the community that they had. In 1 Corinthians 12, 27, it says, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. It's useful, I think, to read the, the Great Commission in Matthew as something unconditional. It says, do these things. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you, and then, if you're doing these things, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Do these things, and then I'm with you. 
So it's painting a picture really of the body of Christ, the church, the community of believers. We now have the responsibility of demonstrating God's love clearly, tangibly, and boldly. And it's in our actions in fulfilling this great mission that Jesus is with us as we mirror his presence on earth. So this other way, the church, the body of Christ, the community of believers, manifests his life in the world today. Yes, it's another way that Jesus, even though he's not with us physically, he's, he really is still with us. So I think it's helpful to identify these tangible ways that Jesus is actually with us when he's not physically present. Um, and through that, we can really be confident that God is with us in a variety of circumstances. Right? So, so the spirit of the living God dwells with us. We have the word of Christ to rely upon, and we have the body of believers to draw upon. And so going back to that list of ways that maybe we've experienced similar scenarios or circumstances when we maybe lose someone or feel abandoned or things aren't going to plan, what comfort or lessons does that provide us? For some of them, like I think loss of a parent in some cases provides a template for how we can remember those that we have lost. Right? What elements of their spirit live on through the community that they may have created? Um, what lessons have their words taught us over time? And I think that often, right, if you go to, I haven't been to a funeral in a while, but if you go to like funerals, there often can be very, in some sense, uplifting because you hear about things that people have done. Um, something that's really stuck out to me is a couple of years ago, one of my friend's father had passed away, and they were t um, his daughter was telling a story about how like, when she fell down as a kid, he would like pick her up and like help brush her off and then would say something like, oh, you know, I'm here to pick you up now, but in the future I won't be here and like, like something very comforting and like wise sounding, which was very convicting for me. I wasn't a father then yet, but I was like, wow, I can't, I wonder if when I'm a dad, if I'll be able to like say wise sounding things like that. You can ask Clement back there later. I think I'm already just like, get up. Keep going. <laughs> like, anyway, I think kind of like reflecting on those types of attributes, like what has, what have they done, like where, what has their spirit inspired is something that's really useful. Yeah, I, I also want to acknowledge that there are a lot of other relationships where we may not be able to reflect back with that type of joy. Those memories may continue to be painful. Perhaps there's ones that are just left primarily with regret or lost potential. And so what I have to offer here is perhaps not that helpful. I just want to acknowledge that, that this is like meant to kind of alleviate all the pains of that loss or death or abandonment. But also as we strive to be more Christ-like for sanctification, as we 
kind of like look to Jesus as our guide to conform our lives to be more like him, I think it does provide us with a challenge in terms of how we think that we ourselves will be remembered. Um, what do we leave behind? What will people say of the spirit that you have? What do they say about the words that you told to them, to their children? What was the type of community that you helped foster and leave behind? And so, yeah, just questions. When you think of your relationships, what are you leaving with your community, with your friends, with your children, with your parents? Is it just lessons in money management, belongings, or is it really pouring out a good spirit using our words to reflect what Christ would want, um, providing positive community, surrounding ourselves with people who we want to help or be around. Um, yeah, it's like as Mark talked about last week, are, are we just kind of like checking the box of, you know, like, we're gonna be happy being a Christian, we're gonna go to heaven sometime, but in the in-between, like, what are we really doing with our lives? So it's, I think, a really convicting thing to think about. All right, enough on that. So next topic. <laughs> so in, in verse 10, after this kind of like floating away, I, I see this next thing as a very perplexing question. So it says, and while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? So it says, and while. So to me it sounds like they weren't standing there for very long, right? He's just like floated away, they're looking up, and these two guys say like, why are you looking up? It, it's kind of a strange question. I think it's, on some sense, it's like really obvious, right? It's like, we just saw a guy float away into a cloud. And also that guy was our friend, so we want to like see if he's coming back. Um, and then all these things we just talked about, like trying to process the sense of loss, the sense of confusion. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. Like, where are they trying to get at? My, my initial thought when I look at this is, like, oh, maybe there's some sense of urgency, you know? Like, these guys are trying to say, like, don't waste any time. Like, go back, start evangelizing. Like, this is what you need to do. Um, like, one, two, three, go. Jesus floats away, disappears, and then they have to, like, run off and do stuff. And I think, like, a lot of the book of Acts and the other parts of the New Testament really read this way, right? There's, like, Paul talks about, like, running the race. Um, there's a lot of stuff that's going to happen really quick. But in this case, right, they're given the Great Commission, but they're also given this command that said, like, do not leave Jerusalem until you get this gift of the Holy Spirit. So what I get from this is they aren't supposed to necessarily be hitting the ground running and just kind of like running away, shouting like, oh, Jesus is risen, like, everyone convert or do whatever, like, so yeah, what, what are they being asked to get back to? Like, what were they supposed to be doing instead of looking into the sky? And I think there's several things here, right? Um, one is for sure, we can't just be looking back to the past. Like, why are you standing there, looking up there? 
Is it just a longing? Are you just fixating back on the good times? It's, it's really easy to get stuck living in the past without making any forward progress. Yeah, often if you ask people like, yeah, what's like the best time of your life? I guess depending on how old they are, then it, though, you know, when I was in my mid-twenties, I was indestructible and I could do all these things. Um, but now, like, my body hurts and I can't do anything. I can't really say this, like, credibly because it's still pretty, I, I feel like I'm pretty young. But anyway, like, there's, um, just to get this point that we're not called to be stuck looking up in the sky, thinking about the past and not doing anything. We're called to look forward and prepare. We also can't get stuck just thinking about the future. Right? We know Christ is going to come back someday and that's going to be good, but we aren't called to just live an escapist life where we just sit there and say, you know, things are going to be good someday. I don't have to do anything right now. I've accepted Christ. There's nothing more I need to do. And so what do we do in the now? And it's interesting, right? The disciples again, like, they're in this period of limbo where I feel like these two men are just like, don't get stuck in the past. Don't just sit there thinking about how things are going to be great in the future. And then they have Jesus saying, like, don't leave Jerusalem yet. So, like, what, what else is there to do? And I think the one answer to this is just to wait and to prepare, right? We live in a society where we want like immediate results, immediate gratification. We, when we do things, we want to see the result right away. And sometimes now is not the time for that to happen immediately. And sometimes God has called us into certain seasons in life, um, into certain situations, where what we really need to be doing is preparing. Whether that's just praying about situations, whether that is sitting and just kind of like feeling through emotions that we receive from being somewhere, whether that's going to apologetics seminar and my plug to sign up for that. Um, there's, there's a time for everything and some of those things are, maybe from our perspective, like a, yeah, they're not immediately gratifying, but are we focusing our lives and our actions that kind of each step that we're taking, everything that we're learning, is that leading us to What's next? Is that bringing us from like just accepting Christ through the process of sanctification, through the process of you know, like, then whatever that next step is, or are we just kind of sitting stagnant or waiting for things to happen? Um, Proverbs 24:27 says, "Prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field, and after that, build your house." And Right? You can think of so many stories of why preparation is key in other areas of your life. Right? If, you, if you're into running or sports, you don't just like show up and say, I'm going to run a marathon right now. You need to train. 
if you want to like have a certain profession, you don't just like show up in the field and be like, I can drive this plane. You have to go to school or drive a lot of small planes and a lot of stuff. So all to say, I think this perplexing question that they posed is one of the keys here really is a call to care, a call to reflect and a call to pray. And I think somewhat you see that in their actions that they do next in terms of, kind of like what they do, um, but I won't get into that. So the last part of today's text is this interesting sentence. This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So when I was trying to like figure out what to say about this, um, I realized that a lot of people take this approach of dissecting this sentence in a lot of ways, right? It says, he's going to come back in the same way. What does that mean? Is, is he going to also, like, he went up into the sky, so he's going to descend back from the sky. They were at the Mount of Olives, so, like, is it going to be at the Mount of Olives where this happens? Should be, like, hey, over there? Like, when is this happening? Like, they just talked about, like, it's not for us to know, but is this going to be, like, post-tribulation, pre-tribulation? Like, we can get a lot stuck in a lot of these details. Um, and but at the same time, right, we just read from Jesus that's like, there's some things that we don't have to know yet. And in the context, the disciples are still processing this idea that Jesus just left them physically. And so I think this statement is really one more of comfort and encouragement. That, that first phrase, it says, this same Jesus will return. So I don't think it's the main point, or at least there's separate points, but maybe the main point is not laying out the various stages in history and exactly what's going to happen. I think it's really assurance that Jesus, this actual person, the one that they had been following for years, the one that they've been sharing life with, that they've been eating with and learning from, this same person will return. Right? This isn't like this threat of judgment. These two men weren't like the guys that you see in the corner holding up a sign that's like, God's coming back, you've got to turn or burn, and like, it's, it's comfort that their friend isn't gone forever, it's about the relationship, that the relationship continues. And so when we think of Jesus coming back, or the second coming, or heaven, like, what, what do we think of? Is it just physical? I know, like, Kids often ask, like, you know, like, what, what's heaven? What's that like? And for, for me, when I get that question, I'm immediately like, oh, well, you know, the Bible says the streets are paved with gold, and then people are like, can people fly in heaven? Can, are there dogs in heaven? Or when we think of the opposite, when we think of hell, like, is it, oh, there's going to be fire and demons and torture. You don't want to go there. Like, is that kind of the point. And I think the most important truth here is like about heaven or whatever it's like that, it's, it's God will be there. 
This is talking about Jesus is coming back. This person that you've been living with, he's coming back. And we will be safely in God's presence forever. The Bible says in Revelation, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb, Christ, is its Lamb. And so, in heaven we'll be with the Lord forever. This, so this is like the defining characteristic. The important truth is that we'll be in God's presence, and that this same Jesus is going to be there. Is, is that something that excites you? I'm glad I hear a lot of amens. That's, that's good. Um, but, you know, I've been thinking about this, just honest, like, I've been thinking about this a lot this week, right? It's, in God's redemptive plan, like, I can understand this logic of, you know, like, we're sinners. Like, there's sin there. God needed to send His Son for sacrifice to live His perfect life, this justification through faith. But when I think about the future, like, am I indifferent between, like, the same Jesus is coming back for the second coming, or it's just like, oh, there's this time period when it's all over and, like, God will reign. And there's this element of, like, like, doesn't matter if it's the same Jesus or just God has some other plan. And I think, like, there's something interesting being pointed out here is, in, like, how... Christianity is built not just on like an academic pursuit or a timeline of like, you know, you fit in at this point in time by accepting Jesus, doing the stuff you need to do. At some point, like, God's going to come down and like heaven will be there. But there's an element of, right, the relationship that is really important, right? Think about it. Like, if you, I don't know, if you're like, Mary or something, and your spouse like leaves, and they're like, "All right, I'm going out." And then later tonight, a different person's going to come in, and like they'll do everything you need, but it's going to be someone different. And as a new person, every time, like that that works in terms of like survival. Like you, you'll be fine. You can figure out life together. But would you like that? Like, would you be excited if just? <laughs> Stuff. It's like, alright, I know the next person's coming in and you kind of like switch out every time. Like, no, and why Why is that? I think if you, if you didn't know any better in life, like I think a lot of, I don't know, sometimes, it depends on your relationship with your pet, but some pets could care more or less if it was the same person coming back every day. I, I don't think our last dog really cared. Like, it could be anyone. But, for like, your children, your spouse, your parents, your friends. There's something that matters there, and why does it matter? It's because we've built this relationship over time, and that relationship makes us excited about seeing that person. It's not just about like this end, oh, we're gonna like be somewhere super happy, like it's we're gonna be with that person. Like Yeah, I I don't know, it's like, I could live in a dump with my family and be happy. So, yeah, I guess the point on that part of the chapter, I think, is just that 
Christianity, Jesus, it's not just about this kind of academic pursuit, which is very easy for me to do. I'm just like, you know, I follow the rules. This is kind of like the path that makes sense. This is the religion that makes the most sense to me. But as we cultivate this relationship with Christ, as we think about what that means, it creates this sense of desire and longing for him to return. And yeah, for myself, I just really pray for myself that kind of as I grow in Christ, that kind of that desire continues to grow and I pray this for all of us. And with that, that's all I have. Let me pray and close us. God, we thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Pray that you use it to impact us in some way, however you see fit. Pray that you keep us safe and cool in this heat wave. In Jesus' name, amen.